everybody. Welcome to the Collective Podcast. Um, this is going to be, I don't even know what episode this is. We got we got a lot of episodes going on. I can't keep track of them all, but um, I got a guest on. Um, he's a guy that um, helped spawn my, my career, um, helped me um, get noticed from the right people, and does a lot for the community. Um, he's uh, working at PSYOP right now as a special operations, uh, director of special operations. We'll talk a bit about that. Um, but he's also chief and editor, and, and uh, I think just you're the creator or co-creator of Motionographer. I'm I'm the founder. There's founder, been... okay. Yeah. But you yeah. have a team of people that are you yeah. know, just as passionate about it as, as as he is. But he's one of the big uh, the big guys that's helped bring apart uh, bring to fruition the uh, concept of Motionographer, which is an amazing website where it's kind of like a hub for people that are addicted addicted to motion graphics and um design and and all those things under that umbrella and um and we'll we'll talk a little bit about how we got connected and and everything but uh we've been trying to have a podcast for i don't know probably about a half a year maybe (laughs) (laughs) but just as an incredibly busy guy i can't imagine the amount of emails he gets and how and how consumed he is he also is a is a is a new dad as well and so he's got you know one of the biggest challenges in the world as well on top of everything else so but the but um yeah without further ado i mean just want to welcome you to the podcast and dude, thank you again it's been a struggle to get us together and our yeah. schedules lined up but hey we made it happen so this is going to be amazing yeah thank you man i appreciate it. it's an honor to be on the podcast yeah thanks dude well um first off i mean there's so much to really talk about with what you've you know, brought apart. I guess maybe we should probably get some of the, the the meat off of this conversation. And start maybe talking about, um, kind of where you've come from and yeah. how you've gotten to where you've gotten. You know, and and what's got you led you here and some of the lessons that you've learned and some of the things that you've taken along with your journey. Because obviously, there's one thing that I've been able to really tap into. And for those mm-hmm. that are listening, this is the first time I think we're actually having a a, a voice conversation. I think we've had. A thousand emails between us but yeah that's true now that you mentioned it i didn't even realize it we haven't actually talked before yeah we haven't i haven't heard your voice i think you've heard mine through the podcast and I stuff have. but yeah, um but it's lurking. yeah <laughs> but it's been amazing though it's it's actually really great and it's cool to be in this day day and age to have this but um yeah yeah i mean i don't know i'm trying to think about yeah. like where we can probably dig into i, I know that you well, got you know, i have a really non-traditional path through this industry i know a lot of people do and it's interesting the more i talk to people it seems like the new normal is to have a non-traditional path through the industry yeah. um by non-traditional i mean that my undergraduate degree is in creative writing in english basically and uh i realized during my senior year two things one um that i really liked uh design and and um, at the time, you know, web design was kind of still like a new, exciting thing. I learned, I realized that in my senior year of college. I also realized that um, I was going to graduate with basically a useless degree. I was like, oh shit, like I'm about to go into the workforce with a creative writing degree. Like, wow, <laughs> screwed. So my friend, my best friend actually, um, he was working at a company in Austin. I was living in Houston. He was working at a company in Austin. And he was like, hey, you know, summer before my senior year, he was like, you want to do an internship here? Like, I'll teach you some HTML. HTML was still like, this is like 1.0. It's still kind of like this evolving thing. What year are we in over here? We're talking about uh, 2000. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, web, the web had been around for a while, but... It Wasn't was, in its, like, booming time, though, really? Yeah. I guess it was, it was about to be. Yeah, everything was, like, still 
table based for layout and it was like the time when it was the height of the of the craze when everybody thought like if you know html you're gonna be a millionaire <laughs> yeah html you know yeah really exciting uh, startup in Austin that was getting like crazy funding it was just really really big it was just a little height height of the internet bubble so I went to Austin uh, which is one of the epicenters in the United States for that uh, that craze you know of course San Francisco being the, the big one but um, it was a really fun time he taught me HTML taught me some JavaScript I learned flash and that ended up being more important than all the other stuff because at that time it was flash version 3 so this is before there was any programming if i'm remembering correctly there was no action script there was no way to really like program interactivity and it was really just an animation tool mm -hmm. and i hadn't done any animation up to that point i'd done some graphic design like through in high school and that kind of thing but all just kind of self-taught and on my own so i did some animation and i kind of just like got into the whole web thing and so when i graduated i decided like i'm gonna do that and just somehow figure it out you know and um i got lucky enough to be hired by the university of texas um at austin I was hired by this crazy group. I think it's still around. They were called the Faculty Innovation Team or Center, Faculty Innovation Center, FIC, I think. And they were in the College of Engineering, which the College of Engineering at University of Texas is one of the better funded schools. They have a lot of money that comes in from research and the various ventures that they're involved in. And so I was in this group that was very well funded. Um, our mission was essentially to get cutting edge technology to put it in classrooms, put it in the hands of students, put it in the hands of professors, and try to figure out ways to make it work so that students could learn better. And that could be students in the classrooms learning better, it could be students on um, via distance education, like online education, which was, was like a, a new thing back then. So it was this really broad mission that involved playing with technology. So I did that for like four and a half years and I learned so much stuff. Um, and towards the end of that, around 2004, I started really getting into motion graphics. There was a a forum. Do do you know MoGraph.net? Have you ever? I think I've visited. It. Yeah, I think I've checked it out before. Back then, it was still it was like a new thing. I guess I'm not really sure when they launched. They had been around for a little while, and I started lurking on that board quite a bit. <laughs> Saw some stuff on there that blew my mind. This is like yeah, like 2003, 2004, I guess. Yeah. I, um, MK12's work. Um, oh I, yeah, yeah. They were doing like um. Um, they did the title sequence for that one movie, Kite Runner, I think it was. Was that back then? They've done. I mean, back then, the thing that really stuck out was uh, they had a few things. They had um, Ultra Love Ninja, which was like a weird short starring a ninja in some crazy deconstructed suburban surreal landscape. Yeah, I think I remember that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah box that was basically one of the first kinetic type animations that I can remember seeing. It was just like a conversation with a Brazilian guy talking about the concept of machismo. And, um, <laughs> you know, people are still doing those kinetic type things. And I really think that was one of the earliest ones that I remember seeing. Um, and so MK12 blew my mind. Lobo blew my mind. Um, uh, Nendo Costa's work in general blew my mind. I think he had a studio called Naked um, back then. There were, there were like a handful of shops that were working back then and that were putting their work online. There were only like, there were only, uh, oh, sorry, we've got like a whole group of people here, but. Um, okay. You're at the office of SIAP, right, in New York? I'm in SIAP right now. I've okay. Here, but, um, hey, we're trying to do a podcast over here. No, it's okay. It's actually, it's actually cool because, you know, sometimes it helps to have a little bit of break in the silence, so it's fine. Um, so, uh, so I was just getting my mind blown by this work. There weren't a lot of people putting video content online because this is pre-broadband days, right? Like yeah. 
had broadband. I had broadband because I was at the university, you know, working there. But um, so and the videos were like 320 by 240, little potions. Yeah, I remember that. It was horrible. <laughs> resolution was only like 800 by 600 so that wasn't so bad you know um but i remember just my mind being blown and i remember thinking after i saw the mk12 stuff i was like i have to figure out how to do this shit like how do you make this stuff yeah around the same time two other things were happening on the scene one thing was in in austin like blogging was new it was kind of a i mean it had been around for a couple of years but it was really taking off and especially in austin there were a lot of people blogging i was going to south by southwest interactive which was only a few years old but you know that's in austin every year so i was going and i was learning about blogging i got into some software called text pattern um some other stuff and so i started blogging and i was like okay like what do i put on this blog and the first thing i started doing was like putting work you know from all these studios that i was finding out about i was putting it on the blog and I noticed that, like, on the blog, there was space for, like, a kind of a sidebar. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just start listing all the studios in that sidebar that I'm into, you know. And so that sidebar list of studios started growing over time. Um, and the other thing that happened around this time was there was a competition being sponsored by Creative Commons. And I don't know, Creative Commons has gotten much more popular, but back then it was brand new. And Creative Commons is essentially, like, an alternative to copyright, right? Copyright law, especially in the U.S., is is crazy crazy restrictive and pretty much everything that you create as an artist um is automatically more or less automatically protected by copyright law and in some cases that's a really good thing you really want it because you want to monetize your stuff and you want to yeah. have control right there's a lot of cases especially on the web where you create something and what would be better would be for it just to spread and be used in other ways and be shared and in, in, in an open way and, and be riffed on and remixed and reused and all that totally. so it's a Creative Commons, um, which was which was created by a, a Stanford law professor at the time, Lawrence Lessig. Um, he came up with this whole concept, and it was so cool, but it was kind of hard for people to understand. They couldn't really wrap their head around it. Like, what the hell is this thing, and how do I use it? So they, they created a competition to explain what is Creative Commons in two minutes or less. Mm. And um, the prize for the competition was like a brand new Mac G5. This is like the big silver tower, but before it was called the Mac Pro. This is on the old... Um, uh, I guess it was like the IBM chipset before it turned into an Intel uh, chipset. So um, old school, dude. I love this stuff. It's like a time capsule. Exactly. And I was like a I was like a hardcore like Windows guy and stuff up to this point. And so <laughs> I'm like you know I'm gonna try to enter something into this competition. So I wrote a script and I storyboarded it. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. You know, I mean I'd never done this stuff before. Um, I, I taught myself enough 3D Studio Max because that's what we had installed at work. Um, I taught myself some 3D Studio Max in order to pull off a few shots. I taught myself some After Effects in order to pull off a few shots and um, recorded the audio and all that stuff using like super janky tools. And um, I won the competition. So I got this computer and I got a bunch of like press and I, they sent me to South by Southwest and I got to talk about the project and I got to meet sure. Lessig. So cool. And it, it just like opened up all these doors. Started doing more motion graphics work um, at work because of it. Like I got a little confidence and started doing some projects. And I thought, okay, this is really sweet. Um, I left UT and started working for another group, a private group, not a university group, kind of doing the same thing I was doing at UT. Um, and then I thought, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go all in, put all my chips in on this motion graphics thing. And for me, that meant going back to school. I mean, you know, we could have a, probably a big conversation about the value of school. Yes. But well, whenever. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something I talk to people a lot about. You know, it really de depends on your personality. But for me, school is great because it gives me structure. Um, 
infrastructure and enough access to stuff, mostly access to people. Um, and by people, I don't mean professors, I really mean other students. Yeah. Um, and that's what I need to learn. Um, but you know, in our field, you don't really even need school as long as you have the discipline to teach yourself and, and network and, and improve your craft, you don't need it. So, you know, I fully understood that then and I fully understand it now, but I knew that I knew myself and I was like, I'm going to go back to school. and I. I wanted to get an MFA because um, I thought at some point maybe I'll want to teach at the college level. So I decided. It's a big commitment, the MFA. That's a huge one. Yeah, it was a big one. And I, I thought a lot about it. I talked to some people um, who had kind of gone through it and, and got some advice and all that. And um, I landed on, on SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, um, mostly because I knew I wanted to do motion graphics and I wanted to stay focused in that. And there really, at that time, and probably still now, there really weren't that many schools that had clearly defined programs around motion graphics, especially at the MFA level. At the time that I was pursuing it, you know, Otis in LA was one school that was kind of like dedicated to um, to it. I think Chris Doe, who's the founder of Blind, he was a teacher then, I think, um, might still be a teacher there. That guy's incredible, amazing guy. Um, and so I was like, oh shit, I should do that. And then, or there was SCAD, which is like SCAD's in Savannah, Georgia, in the middle of nowhere. Like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah two opposites of the same, uh, you know, of this, of this kind of motion graphic spectrum. I chose Savannah because I knew that I needed to limit the um, distractions that I had around me. And I think Savannah doesn't have many distractions. So um, in the end, I party. went there. Yeah. And uh, it worked out really well. And essentially when I started there, um, I realized I was like, you know, I'm going to have some time to myself, both at the beginning before I actually start my classes and, and also during the summers and stuff, I'm going to have some time to myself, so I need a project. And I had kept that blog running, that blog that I mentioned earlier, it was called Tween. I kept that running all this time and I thought, you know what, I'm ready to like make that like a bigger deal. And I'd been working with some people who who had like kind of gotten involved in the blog and were like writing on the blog and posting on the blog, like people like Babe Elliott Baker and Fabricio Lima. And, and a John Gorman, I think, was an early one too. And I'm probably missing some names, but I thought, you know, we got a little crew here going. Let's make this like a bigger deal. And so I decided, like, okay, I'm gonna create a word called motionographer. And I swear to you, that word did not exist before I, I put motionographer.com. But awesome. I had no trouble buying that domain because it wasn't in the dictionary. If I Google it, nothing came up. Literally, nothing came up. It's awesome. I think one one hit from like a um a dance instructor in like virginia or something <laughs> other than it really didn't exist i was like cool like it's a word that you know uh, that doesn't have like a, a past Match and, made in heaven exactly so uh i launched motionographer in 2006 april of 2006 at the same time that i started my mfa at scad um fast forward two years i finished my mfa and my thesis was basically about oceanographer and during those two years 2006 to 2008 um it had unlocked a, a lot of uh things for me a lot of it opened a lot of doors i mean um it introduced me to a lot of people studios and artists and yeah uh, it was an education in itself and um it introduced me to a guy up here in new york uh named carlos alasmar Carlos and I started a festival called F5, which was really his idea. I just kind of helped him make it happen, and motionographer was an important piece of that puzzle. And and um, and so I did my thesis on motionographer and kind of like what it, how it came to be and all that. It, it accidentally became like this bigger project. It really has always just been a hobby. Even now, I mean, I work full time. I work 50 hours a week, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever. And it's uh, it's a hobby, you know, and, and it's a lightning rod for other things. Um, and I. 
I do have plans um, to take some time uh, to, to basically relaunch it, to make it more relevant, because I think, you know, the world has changed in terms of the way that we share uh, information, the kind of information that's uh, more valuable to us. Yeah. I have, too, I've gotten older, a little more mature. I've run, bi <laughs> run businesses, run studios, and 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 started um, other ventures that have taught me a lot. And so I think um, it's time to like refashion motionographer and a new image. So that's kind of like the plan uh, for 2014. So that kind of was like a condensed history, I guess. Hopefully that wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, what's cool is is um, I pulled a lot of things that I, I actually didn't know about you and then some things that I did, but it, what's cool is I get kind of a really good perspective. And one of the things I think is uh, is really key to your personality that I've noticed is you're very uh, adventurous with your entrepreneurship, you know? Does that make sense? It's, it's funny you should say that because um, I think I'm only just now kind of embracing that fact and i've seen this in people before where like you kind of see like oh this guy's like a natural entrepreneur or whatever um and you know i have friends like that and um a lot of times they don't even realize it um i think you just kind of get busy working and trying to get a paycheck and make ends meet you don't really pay attention to what you're doing of course not that's when all the good stuff happens exactly so um i'm starting to kind of embrace the entrepreneurial spirit uh, a little more um, and I think it's good. PSYOP's really given me um, a lot of opportunities to do that. My yeah. job here was essentially, they kind of let me create my own role here. Um, I knew I wanted to work with them and um, they wanted to work with me. We've uh, been talking for a long time and they're like, what do you want to do? And so I thought about it and I, I wrote a, like a little book basically. I like kind of designed and, and um, printed a, like an actual book that tried to encapsulate my ideas and they basically said, okay, do that. And so um, a lot of the ideas were around uh, creating new new ventures within PSYOP or pursuing new revenue streams uh, for PSYOP, basically trying to pick up things that might have fallen between the cracks and seeing if they could be viable businesses. And so I've been doing that for two years now at PSYOP. And um, yeah, it's been, I shouldn't say that I've been doing it alone. Obviously, you can't do any of that without like crazy support from management and also from, you know, the artists that I work with and the team that I work with so it's you know that that should go without saying like you can't do anything like that by yourself but they've given me the freedom to pursue those things and that's been really good yeah I mean and it's what's interesting too um, for those that don't know Syab is a motion house and there's there's actually quite a few um, motion houses they're all different and they're all especially unique unique to their own thing and they all have their own principles and what they specialize in based off the talent that they have under their roof but of all the studios to pick and work with, why was it PSYOP that you decided to go with? Well, they were one of the earliest studios back in the early 2000s. You know, I saw the music video they did for, um, well, it was a really music video, I guess, for um, Absolute. They did this really cool um, animation. I can't, no, it wasn't Absolute, sorry. It's Bombay Sapphire. I got my, I got my liquors mixed up. It was Bombay <laughs> Um, and they did a music video for Cheryl Crow, and they did some work for Lugs, and it was the kind of work that was just so groundbreaking, and and people, you know, were kind of imitating it and 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 mimicking it. Um, and that that was important to me, like just as artists, they were one of my hero companies from a design perspective. But also, I recognized that the the model, the business model they set up, and this is back in the early 2000s, was also um, pretty revolutionary now it's kind of commonplace but you know it was a production company that specialized in animation um, that was run more or less as a collective of directors and um, artists and uh, that was a big deal um, back then and it's still a big deal now it's hard to kind of you know 
to, to do that at the scale that PSYOP does it. And um, so I've always just been a big fan of their work. And I thought, man, it would be so sweet to work for them. Um, I, I met I met two of the of the five founders. I met two of them through motion for um, uh, Marco and Marie, uh, who are here in the New York office. And I fell in love with them. I was like, oh, man, like their whole approach to design and art and everything is it lines up with mine. I mean, we take everything we do here really seriously, but at the end of the day, we, we make commercials, you know, we're not curing cancer. And um, I think people here, they look at what we do is making like little 30 second and 60 second short films. And so it doesn't matter if it's for, you know, Verizon or for Nike, um, it does matter obviously, but in terms of the artistic dedication that people, you know, put into these projects, it's like they're making short films. and. There's a very personal connection to the work here. Everybody's really, really into it. And the camaraderie among people, therefore, is also really strong. So I, I sensed all that. I was like, man, what a cool place to work. Yeah. And I haven't been disappointed. It's been really good. That's good, man. I mean, there's a lot of love there. And what's interesting, too, like what's awesome and I admire about what you've done is is um, you managed to create your own position in a, in a top-tier company, which is really cool. It, like I'm saying here, it's, it goes to show that you are willing to kind of go in that abstract in order to create your own path if that makes any sense you know yeah I you do it from love it seems like you you love and in the drive of, of the things that you admire and, and adore about the world you're able to somehow meld these things together and then use your like tenacity and like willpower to like bring it to fruition and, and then you you manifest things like motionographer and, and it's cool to hear that you're you know thinking about you know new forms of of communication and stuff as you develop it and revamp it and stuff it's gonna be really cool so but i think that's with the with the passion i still have crazy passion for animation and and motion design really that's still my number one passion because it it encapsulates everything i care about which is technology design and writing storytelling it's yeah. like all there you know um it's funny though if i'm really honest with you and with myself it starts with passion and then i realize at some point that i'm not as good at design or production as i want to be and so i kind of go okay well since i'm not as good as i want to be uh let me find the people who are and figure out how to work with them and so it's kind of out of necessity that i have to look for these ways of like kind of side doors into the industry i used to be really um I used to be really shy about that. I was really sheepish. Like I remember one of the first times that I did a big talk, um, I was being interviewed by some guy at, um, at an industry conference called Promax BDA, and I was really like, dude, really? Like, I don't think you should be interviewing me. I'm just like a blogger. I'm not a very good designer. I'm not a very good animator. And um, over the years, I've gotten more and more comfortable with that. Like. I'm totally cool. I know exactly where I am, where I am as a designer and an animator, and um, and I know that that's only part of the story for me. And I've gotten more and more comfortable with like finding other roles and creating other roles. And I encourage other people too to like to do that. I talk to students a lot about that. You know, I, in school it seems like there's like one path or maybe two paths. Yeah, that's what I'm saying here. I think what's cool is is that you know like example for me, it's like okay. I'm either going to be an artist or a designer and so i just hit my head against the wall until the results work out but i could have just maybe thought i mean that's what i wanted to do that was my passion since i was a child but if i wasn't necessarily passionate enough to kill myself for it in that category i could off i could just be smart and witty and clever about it and go into another thing and figure out my own path from there and that's what i'm saying you've create you've managed to create your own path while everybody's busy focusing on like you know like 
you know, like you have to fall into this suit. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm going to go on this back road. It'll be faster. It'll be and not faster, but it'll, it'll be my own road. And that's really cool. It's admirable, like admirable, because I think uh, it, it takes, you know, like I think it takes those things. You, like you mentioned, you had that vulnerable moment when when the guy's interviewing you and you're just like, well, I'm just a blogger, you know, glorified blogger. And it's like, but there's a value to that within the community. You know what I mean? Which is yeah. awesome. You know? Yeah. I mean, and I should say also that there are some people, and I saw students like this, who who know, like, I'm an animator, and I think that's awesome. Like, if you know that, you just go after. I have a friend who who um, is way, way uh, old friend of mine, um, and he started playing drums when he was about six years old, I think, um, just big enough to, like, hit the bass drum, you know? And he knew that he wanted to be a drummer. And I knew when I, I was in bands with him in middle school and high school and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's incredible at drums, you know? Yeah. And he stuck with it. And he just focused on it and just kept doing it, kept doing it. Now he's he's in a successful band. I mean, Indie Successful is a band called Midlake. And they're, like, doing well. And they opened for Pearl Jam. And he's, like, played drums for Feist on her albums and, and for St. Vincent and other people. And I just I love St. Vincent. It's great stuff right and i love seeing like that single-minded dedication to something is also awesome like i don't like i think sometimes people hear like you know my non-traditional path thing and they think that i'm like challenging that i'm not at all like if you oh, know no. and i think it's just be be open you know the other thing too that, that happens with students is I, I think they don't realize the larger um uh field of opportunity that there is once you get out and the work yeah and like like, I really wish, I don't know why the schools don't do this, but like, I wish schools would teach kids about producing more because it's, yeah, uh, it's super important, you know, without, without good producers, dude, you know, shit just doesn't get done or it gets done really badly or businesses fail or whatever. And, and, and Very slow <laughs> yeah. and producers are, are creative too. It's, it's, you know, it's often a different way of being creative, but, um, I, I think, you know, when I talk to my students about that, I think a lot of them felt like, yeah, well, that's kind of like what a flunky would do you know you become a producer and i'm like no no you're not at all like we have to understand that that's like a, a valuable um career path as well when you watch uh, a summer blockbuster you watch any movie look at the titles look who's like first and five there's an executive producer in there first to five always you know it's not a flunky situation it's just that it's a whole different dynamic like you said it's creative in a whole different venue you know like b running my own business i've fill many different hats and so I experience what it is to produce and executive produce and, and direct and do all these things and so I see how the value is in everything and in the beginning I was very much naive to the situation like oh fucking producers you suck you know like you can't do the job and you just keep sending emails and you're getting in my way but then now I see the the contributing factor of a really great producer you know and if you work with a really great producer like hang on to that person like a raft in the ocean because they're few and far between but they'll they'll save your job you know that's a good point there aren't that many i should say like it's it's hard to find a good producer hard to be a good producer um but they are super valuable once you do find them for sure like, totally i mean it's just it's 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 kind of like a it's, it's it's the glue i think you know if they're really good but that's just goes to show like for anybody and i think it really comes down to all details aside, I think that our business is a people business. It's a creative people business. It's a business of expression and ideas. And and you need to have all these different facets of getting it. It's, it's one thing to be an artist and say you want to do something. It's another thing to bring that to fruition. And it's another thing to collaborate that idea with 
everybody including the client and all that stuff it takes so many different details and things but the most important thing is it's a people thing it's a person thing it's a passion thing you know and if people are passionate and and they're human human about it i think you get really amazing work you know it's a point you know because i working at SIAP, i've seen that play out like in so many different ways and um you know the advertising industry has been kind of freaking out past like i don't know five or ten years because digital <laughs> digital is like upsetting the apple cart quite a bit like all the interactive stuff that's going on is like really a big curveball to them and and they're trying to figure out how to grapple with it um production companies are, are kind of getting more power in some ways because clients are saying like well hey why don't we just go straight to the production company and we can work with them and have our own marketing and all so advertising companies are trying to figure out like how are we gonna like cope with this how are we gonna still remain relevant and you know psyop like 95 percent of our work maybe even more is with advertising agencies so we care about this too like we're kind of looking um out for them a little bit um and it's funny because i think some of the advertising agencies what they're trying to do um and they've been doing this for a while is they're trying to create their own production companies their own studios basically right so like well we'll have our own psyop but it'll be inside our advertising company what they're finding is it's really hard to do um, because I think what they're looking at is the output. They're looking at like it's an animation or they're looking at the tools like it takes Maya or After Effects, but they're not looking at is what you just said, which is that it's it's a culture thing. It's about the people like if you can't create an environment where, you know, people think of their work as art or or at least as something that's intensely personal to them and matters to them. If you can't create that environment, you're not going to be able to sustain any any venture uh, in the creative space especially you know a motion design or animation studio yeah. um it might, it might it might last for a little bit but it'll burn out exactly yeah yeah you really have to cultivate that and then what's interesting nowadays too i want to get your kind of perception on kind of future thinking about how this is where this is all going how we're interacting how the customer and the client and creatives are interacting because like i i work from my home in san diego and I have like, I mean, I have a huge personal project. I have a bunch of projects where I have like friends and people that I collaborate with from all over the world at all times of the day. And so the project never really stops. And the interesting thing about that is I, I can do that all from home. And the dynamic of that change within what's happening, I, I, I think it would be amazing. I would love it personally to be in like a similar workspace close physically to people, but it's just, it's not possible. What do you think of like, what that's becoming how that's what's that going to do for the industry how that's going to change things i mean it's a it's a big thing to even consider and kind of put into motion and, and think about but i mean future base what do you think of the the success of these kind of things you know yeah totally i mean you know personally i think we've reached out to you like half a dozen times in the past year to work with you so you know your location for us is not a problem and i think both our new york and our la offices have been reaching out to you and i think you know, for us at the design phase, you know, at that early phase during a pitch or even during just like the beginning of a project when we're still working out, you know, the art direction of the project, um, I think location doesn't matter as much uh, as it used to and it's going to matter less and less. Um, there's still a pretty big hurdle when it comes to production for us because, you know, you have to keep in mind that a lot of our work is heavy on CG and we have a big pipeline and you know, we're talking about people working collaboratively on multiple aspects of a shot at one time. And so doing that as a distributed thing right now is still really hard. You know, we have a, we have a pipeline here that, you know, it's, 
difficult or maybe impossible at the moment to work with remotely. You know, you need to be need to be on our network and it needs to work that way. Um, I do think that'll change. And I think what's exciting is, is you know, the virtualization of workspaces is, is a real thing. You know, if you look at some of the some of the budding technologies, like um, maybe, you know, of Lagoa, which is a really amazing um, 3D application that I guess is being used mostly for rendering right now, but it's all in your browser. It's mind blowing and it's collaborative as well. And it, if you look at the capabilities of Lagoa, um, what it can do and, and the quality of the work and, and the quality of the collaboration. It's its so amazing and it's really just early days. Um, I think uh, Autodesk sent something about Maya in the browser recently. I didn't play with it, but it's the same basic concept of things happening in the browser that used to require high power workstations, you know, sitting on a network where the license was being shared, all this confusing crap. Um, so I think as we start seeing more and more of these kind of virtualized workspaces in the browser, um, all the kind of the barricades that we have to working remotely on production on the production side are going to start to melt away. It's yeah. going to take, you know, you know. It's funny is is, and I see this all the time here is that often the the hurdle isn't technology. I mean, we we blame the technology for being the hurdle, but at some point the technology hurdle goes away, and you find that things are still the same. And the the next hurdle, which is even higher, is the the hurdle of change. People just don't want to change. Like my big thing here is like. I don't ever use Microsoft Office anymore. I use Google Drive for everything. I use Google Word, you know, the Word there. Because it's of... a, you can access it everywhere at all times, right? Is that your kind of your thing, reason why? Yeah, totally. If you and I were going to work on a script together, I would say, all right, you start writing it. When you want me to jump in, let me know. And, and we can work on it together in real time, and we can comment. And all these, you don't have to worry Amazing. about yeah, you don't have to revisions of documents it's a total no-brainer right it's so like why aren't we all using it well we're not all using it because people just don't like change yeah so we... or maybe people just are so busy that's another thing i thought about too is, is our lives now for the most part there's a lot of people that are inundated with technology information and just kind of so consumed with it that um people aren't just maybe they're just a little too busy to take the time to learn or want to learn because they're just they came to keep up with the, what they currently are eating you know i think and I'm, I was joking about it earlier, like some people are late adopters, you know, where it takes them a long time to get to technology. Sure. I'm an early adopter to a fault. Like I'll jump into some brand new technology and I'll adopt it as like my full time solution. And then it's like six months later, I'm like, ah, this isn't really working. I'll just go back to whatever I was doing before. <laughs> but that's good, though. I mean, because, you know, it's a tool and you're and I think you're what you're looking at is like you have all your tools in your tool chest, but then somebody puts in a new tool and you're like, oh, I'm going to try that because I'm going to see if this will work for that. And that's nothing wrong with that because these things are meant, to, they're made to be used, you know, and, and technology is made to be used. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting things coming, especially with the, um, the, the Oculus Rift and the whole virtual reality kind of situation and like um, leap motion, all these things, you know. Specifics, but I can tell you that we've been working on Oculus Rift projects here for the last nine months, and we got one of the early dev kits, and we um, we're working on a big project now that hopefully will pan out and launch in I guess late spring or something for awesome. Oculus. And we have a we have a really badass team here that's working on that, and um, I sit next to a guy who's working in Unity to develop some of that stuff, and across from the guy who's doing all the design work and the pitching for that, uh, the director who's, who's basically heading up that project. And I really do. I mean, I'm super, super excited about that frontier. I mean, as a kid, that's what I really wanted. You know, we all wanted 
virtual reality, but it just wasn't feasible. I remember going to um, Disney Quest in, in Orlando, yeah. and um, you know Randy Pouch was here who who got like he was kind of nationally famous because he showed up on Oprah. He gave uh, something called the Last Lecture, and he he learned um, actually. Uh, that he was dying of cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, and um, he gave this amazing lecture, and I think everybody should watch it. It's called the Last Lecture, and uh, he was an Imagineer, which is like um, an, a creative engineer, right? It's like that's what they, that's what Disney calls those people, and he was one of the main people behind virtual reality research at Disney, and he and his team created some of the most cutting edge virtual reality stuff um, that I'd ever seen. And I went to Disney Quest to go check it out. And like, there's a couple different things they have. One of them, like, you sit on like a kind of a light cycle. And the other one, you're like on a, a magic carpet. Uh, you put this giant helmet on that, that weighs so much that it has to be like hung from the ceiling. <laughs> and yeah. I remember thinking, this was, you know, seven. And I remember thinking, like, uh, this is cool, but shit, man, we're so far away. It's a know? band aid. Yeah, it's a band aid. Even with the Oculus, I mean, I've tried it. Um, and it's really cool. I've tried the um, the lower res one, and I'm just like, you know, it's great. But it's like, it's like, it's a Game Boy right now. It's not what it is going to become, you know. And I've I tried Google goggles and Google Glass or whatever you call that too, and that's the same thing for me. It's like it's still far away. We're still going to use our phones, not just because the phone thing, but it's like it's like to me is like when I was using the cell phone for the first time. They had all the the, the physical hardware numbers. And then when the iPhone came out, I was like, there's no, no, there's no buttons. And I was like, oh, that's amazing because now it's like a Pandora's box. You have, you have this designated real estate to anything you want. Exactly. And you know, what's exciting is, is Oculus, they get that. Like, they yeah. really, you know, if you look at have Crystal, to. <laughs> it's other world, you know? Yeah. And you know, they launched their latest project at CES, Crystal Cove, which is a much higher resolution version than the yes. low. Yes. Itself. And it has 1080 then now. Yeah. Yeah, and it has body sensing technology, and that's still not their consumer model version. Uh, those guys are super badass, and, and they get it, and and hopefully there'll be other people in there to keep you know competition going and keep it really exciting. And um, you know, I think Leap, I think we're going to see that technology show up in a lot of other products. Those guys spoke at South by Southwest last year, the Leap guys. Yeah, and, he's a cool dude. It's really smart. Anthony and I met met him. Um, we went out and flew out to San Francisco and met with them and stuff. Really smart guy. And one of the other guys, I think, is was one of the heads at Apple that's running part of the company as well. Smart dudes. Um, I got it. Yeah. It's, the, the cool thing about it is like, it's, they're, they're like hardware destroyers, if you think about it. They're not, they're trying to get rid of all the clutter and mess of things, you know, and just kind of simplify the hardware usage and need that we have, you know. Really excited about what that's going to mean for us too, as uh, visual thinkers, as creators. Because when the tools change, I mean, tools. There's an interplay between the tool and the product, right? I mean, to yes. to say that the tool doesn't matter is is kind of an idealistic, but but ultimately not factual statement, right? The tool does matter. Like you know, just think about sculptors. You know, if you sculpt in, in, with a knife versus your fingers, you're gonna get you're gonna get a different output. Absolutely. Whoever says that is ridiculous. I mean, come on. Is, you know, you need some kind of th something to apply your thoughts and your mind out into the world, you know, and pen and paper, and then you have scanner, then it goes digitized, and you have internet, and you have blogs, and you have motionographer, you know, so <laughs> that's the that's the evolution of an idea as of today's current stasis. So. <laughs> um, I see it in really subtle ways, too, with like, 
you know, I used to use, I learned, I learned something called um, fireworks before I ever learned Photoshop. I don't even know fireworks is around anymore, but um, it was kind of like a web center competitor to Photoshop and I didn't know Photoshop, but just learning fireworks first, uh, it informed the way that I thought about image creation. And then when I learned Photoshop, I was like, oh, well, these are basically the same tools, but just enough was different that then it changed the way I thought about um, you know, something as simple as like designing a web page. And uh, I think it's important to understand and hit those, those realities head on. Like, don't imagine, don't fool yourself into thinking that the tool doesn't matter. It totally matters. Um, instead of ignoring it, embrace it and figure out like what it is that makes that tool special. There's a tool called Macaw that's, um, it's a, supposed to be like a Photoshop killer. Um, there's actually a few Photoshop killer tools out there right now, but Macaw is I think in beta and, um, or if not, it will be soon. And uh, it looks really exciting to me. It's really cool because it's like a web-centric approach to um, to image editing and image creation. It's funny though because like I, you know, if I'm trying to design a website or something, I, I still work in Photoshop. But this guy um, that I'm sitting across from here at Psyop, his name's Will Will Adams. Like he really like I think he does a little bit of that, you know. But he just jumps in the browser and starts coding and. He kind of thinks his tool it can be code as much as Photoshop or anything like that. And that blows my mind. Like, so I, cool, man. That's the evolution right there. It's a sl subtle evolution, but it's there. Just imagine 10, 20 years away from now. It's, it's, it's going to be, I think it'll be hard to really keep up with certain things like this if you're not really willing to put in the effort to study and read and become a student of it. Because it's going to move so fast that it's going to be kind of blinding you know so you're right the new challenge for me and i think it's probably for a, a lot of us the new challenge is deciding what to learn like if you, you see this horizon of like dozens yeah. of new technologies and like what's the one that's most relevant to me what's the one that's going to give me the biggest return on my investment you know and you only have so many hours in the day i think when when the whole like ios you know thing for app when apps were becoming like a big deal and kind of like the app store was taking off i remember thinking all right i'm gonna learn objective c and i'm just gonna like uh, like it's not looking back that was so naive and not realistic at all like i can't just like expect myself to digest this entire thing especially since i have no background really formal background in programming or anything and that was kind of dumb i think what would have been smarter would have been to like look at my existing skill set my interests and say all right what can i what can I, what's the next new technology that's connected to the stuff I already know? What, what is that technology that I can learn and how can I apply it? And that would have been, that's what I, that's how it works now. I think like, I just want to learn like the incremental new, next thing, take that, use it. And then the next thing beyond that and kind of keep reaching organically instead of trying to like digest the whole, you know, library at once. Yeah, that's really, that's a, that's a key. I have a problem with that as well, because especially with what I do is you have to constantly be up and on things, but I realized that for me, you, I think as a user or as just a person in general that interacts with the internet or with your clients or just in general with yourself actually as a creative, from in my position, it's like it. the tools are important, but it's really what's important is your passion and what you're most interested in. And I have to constantly remind myself like, oh, like maybe I don't need to spend so much time into that program because I don't want to be like this, I don't want to be this cog in the wheel i want to be this other cog in the wheel you know what i'm saying so it's it's a matter of figuring out picking and choosing amongst the the plethora of amazing stuff out there you know what you're gonna what you're gonna digest and put your time towards you know because it can be very time consuming especially 3d can be very black hole-ish i guess you know so you get lost in that 
Totally. You work in 3D quite a bit, right? Um, you know, I do a, a bit with like Cinema because it, Cinema is such a user-friendly, awesome program to use. But I try not to, to be completely honest. I, I actually been regressing my hold on digital and that when trying to focus on my art and drawing again, just because I feel like there's something special about the energy that I, I exchange with when I, when I do that. But 3D offers such a really interesting thing. I think for me, it's just scary because like there's this weird thing that happens in my brain when I use 3D. It's like it becomes this weird like black hole-ish thing that happens in my, my, my imagination and I kind of get lost and I don't make what I was originally anticipating. And then the, the outcome of it isn't what I wanted, but, yeah. it's, but it's cool, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's weird because you start to feel like the application's leading you around instead of the other way around. Absolutely, and if I if if I could if I could have one application that I would just love to have out of anything in this world for just idea imagination thing, is I see the image in my head. Mm -hmm. I just I just want to like plug something into my head and, and, and show it to people because it's like it's almost like I want to project it out from my mind to people it's, it, that saves I mean the idea originally originates really interestingly and then when I have to really apply it to using Photoshop and showing like oh this is what I mean this is what I mean and then then it changes a bit I, obviously it has to because I live in the confines of my capabilities within the program but there's this weird exchange that happens and if I had a, if I had a dream application it would be like some kind of like mind projection or something you know like we're way far away from that but it'd be interesting to have something like that because that's a really that's a dawn of a really interesting age and you'll be able to tell instantly if people are, really have good ideas or they kind of don't and they get lost in the ether of other things you know so you know there are researchers and i, I don't have the article in front of me who've kind of reverse engineered um uh people's uh visual uh like what they're imagining images that they've imagined so uh, maybe we're not as far off as you think uh... that's amazing i love how you know all these things too that's another thing uh, that's one thing i wanted to ask you too you get probably the most emails out of everybody in the entire universe because of motionographer i got a little sense of that because you you offered kindly enough to offer me to be allowed to post on motionographer quite a ways back and I just got so busy and I wasn't able to help out as much as I really wanted to. But um, just seeing the amount of emails that just motionographer alone gets, yeah. it, was, it was like, it was staggering. I just, I was like, oh my God, there's like thousands upon thousands of emails a day just to it, motionographer. It's crazy. And, and, you know, we do, uh, th that's when the team really like helps a lot. We do the best that we can you know, trying to keep up with it and, and look at everything. And, and, you know, it's not just emails, it's Facebook and Twitter and, uh, um, and, uh, all these crazy, you know, inputs. And, um, it's funny because, um, I think I, at some point in the, I guess two or three years ago, I realized like, I can't, we can't keep up with this, you know, everything that's happening. Um, we, we, all we can do is, is, is try to kind of chip away at the iceberg. Um, and it just underscores to me the importance of, of curation and, and kind of the human element of sifting through the fire hose of, of visual information that we have to deal with every day. It's really hard. You know, I, and now I'm, I'm kind of more active on Twitter than I've ever been before. And I just find myself, wishing I had some better filtration system for everything. Totally, um, man. Really, I feel bad too, because I don't think people 
understand, I don't think a lot of people understand that motionographer is all volunteer. We don't make any money off of it. There's a job board that, that has like, like you pay for postings on there, but that goes to, um, uh, like a foundation kind of thing that pays for um, the events that we do. Um, and so we don't like, I don't make money off of motionographer. Um, it's a hobby and it's everybody. You ever works. thinking about doing that? Were you ever trying to think about like a way to make it your full-time job to do it? Or was that never a possibility because you thought that might ruin the idea of what it's built upon? I, mean, I, I did it. I did it for about um, a year uh, after school. Um, I, I came up here to New York for the first time and I just did motionographer NF5, which was the, the, the conference first, that was the first year of that conference. And, uh, it was really hard because F5 was like pretty all consuming, but, um, I was, I really enjoyed the amount of time I was able to spend on motionographer and I would love to, to do that and to spend more time on it. The problem is that directly monetizing a blog is um pretty difficult it's really hard to make enough money for me to live in new york city with a kid and you know all that stuff um just from motionographer what i've learned is that the secondary tiers of, of monetization are more fruitful and more sustainable than like trying to just flood the site with banner ads like you'll notice there's no there are no banner ads on motionographer we've tried that in the past and you make a little bit of money off of it but so ugly they make people doubt you know the integrity of the site or whatever and so totally fuck that you know it's not worth it and um but there's secondary tiers of, of monetization that i think makes sense i mean arguably i'm working at psyop because in many ways because of motionographer and yes, yeah. you know, i'm talking to you because of motionographer and while we're not getting rich off this conversation it uh, it's like these channels you know that lead to other opportunities so i think i've kind of just tried to embrace that side of uh of motionographer i think it's the connectivity thing that you're 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 creating it's a this hub this centralized ball of energy i suppose if you know it's like it's hard to even put it to it it's like the sun you know it's it's got a ton of energy and and and, and stuff and it's all kind of connecting um it's really amazing um you know the amount of power that it's able to bring and that's cool that you've thought about it and you've actually tried it and seen if it works or not and you can see firsthand like how difficult it actually can be to do that because like you said it question it makes people question the integrity of it and what's cool about it i think for people that are attracted to it myself included is it's a site based off of like the love of things you know and once you start to really start messing with that you get you get kind of it gets kind of mucky you know i, think I don't i don't want to be like like perceived as like this kind of opportunistic i don't think so and if yeah. people are there they have a wrong perception about you but no i'm sorry what were you, what were you saying well that i mean yeah that's good i'm glad they don't they don't perceive me that way i think unfortunately because of you know the fact that we post very little we're all busy um i think you know and, and we don't write back to people if we wrote back to everybody who wrote to us we would literally i would be spending 90 hours a week writing back to people so people probably and you know rightfully so they probably think like man this guy's an asshole like he doesn't post my work he doesn't write back to me <laughs> yeah let's let's get this out of the air right now so if anybody's uh, in doubt of your integrity and your you know not everybody's going to be able to get uh, a second of your time and, and especially like look at our relationship our friendship has been um strong through the internet and through the our, our cha channels but it's taken us I don't know, eight months or so to, to set up the time to do this because you are so busy. And so for people that are doubting him or are upset or anything like that, you got to, you know, cut him a little slack. He's doing the best he can. There's, you know, on top of all this, like you also have, you know, your dad now and stuff. So that's a whole nother thing. But, but you know, 
like you I said, it would be a, it would be a full time top times two job just to reply to everybody, you know, and to I, take it all in. A nice guy, I promised everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's this weird thing that like I, I've taken me a long time to understand is like, to me it's like really obvious when something like doesn't belong on motionographer, and it's not because a lot of times it's not because it's bad like we see so much like amazing shit like really good stuff it's just that it doesn't belong like um you know if it's like i don't know like a uh, live action shorts we don't post a lot of live action i just posted a live action uh, short from devane because it's from devane who started as a kind of photo real cg shop and the live action short kind of has a weird throwback to the graphical nature that's a very exceptional thing we don't do a lot of live action i mean my real wheelhouse is like motion graphics animation a little bit of visual effects stuff um and so you know that right away means we're not going to post a lot of stuff that people send us and then when they send us something that you know for one reason or another like you know doesn't just doesn't tickle our fancy um we don't post it and it's probably really i know for a fact that it's really confusing for a lot of people they're like you know they look at something we posted like two weeks before and they're like well you posted that how come you won't post mine you know they probably think theirs is much better and and you know arguably it could be the difference is that it's just like this personal taste pace thing like we're not saying that this stuff is like you the only definition of good it's just motionographer's definition of interesting you know and i think it's important that people understand that like it's just a curatorial thing like you know if if uh the new yorker you know if you don't get your article in new yorker or something like you know that's a central hub of something you, you can't kill shoot yourself i mean there's a there's a certain prestige i think obviously to being accepted within these confines or like appreciated within like you know like for me example like when i sent you guys my work and just i just was like they'll never post it up you know i was just i just did it because i was like i had nothing to lose you know that was i just quit my job and i had really nothing and i was like oh, i'm gonna try this you know and and thankfully it caught your eye for some reason and, and so that was for me it was an amazing benefit obviously and it, and it works really great but in, and I could see for people being upset and why they wouldn't. And I've had people actually ask me, oh, can you post this? I'm like, dude, that's not my thing. Like, it's a judged thing. Like, there's another thing you can also explain. It's not just you, right, Justin? It's like, it's a group. You, you guys all vote upon it and be like, not a vote, but it's just more or less like, you know, what do you think of this? You know, do you think this is relevant for the site? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's, so it's not just one person with all the power, you know? And I get a lot of, we get a lot of people who are like, you know friends or people that i know and they're like hey can you put this on the site for me i'm like no if if i if i have a personal connection to anybody the first thing i do is i ask the rest of the crew like hey i'm not going to tell you you know what i think about this would you guys post this you know do you think it's postable and a lot of times people say no and then i have to write back to my friends my genuine friends and say sorry dude we're not going to post it you know and people usually understand they're pretty like cool about it you know like they they get that we only have you know a limited space and we have to be kind of like choosy about what we're doing yeah uh, it's funny i was just on on the other side of the table from this because we psyop launched a video game our first video game and uh, it was for um it was for it was for a charity called against malaria foundation and we had like susan sarandon doing voiceover work for it and it's a really it was a cool game it has like over five hundred thousand downloads now and and um i thought like man we're gonna release this thing and like everybody in the press is gonna pick this up and man, it was so fucking frustrating. Like we were banging our heads, like trying to get anybody to post. I mean, it ended up we got like coverage in a lot of places. We got like Fast Company covered it, and 
wired uk I mean, we ended up getting like really good coverage but it's really hard and a lot of places that i thought would post it didn't post it a lot of people i thought would respond didn't respond and so i thought well this is how it feels you know and i, I know exactly it sucks. yeah it sucks it's not it's not a good feeling but that's just it's it's part of it you know unfortunately and it's like it's just kind of what happens when you create a hub and i think like i'm obviously when we look back at hindsight when you're originally thinking about like motionographer the word the concept the idea what it was I'm no way in your mind did you think that you were going to have these kind of reper repercussions hurting people's feelings upsetting people and stuff like that I don't think that was ever your your intention just from the little bit I know of you and I think that it, it's it's that just goes to show you how certain things become something that they weren't expected to be but they this is kind of the natural current occurrence of things you know which is unfortunate but it's just kind of what happens you know well, you can do is just like stay passionate keep putting shit out there and hope yeah. you know Pretty much. I mean, that's all you can do in life in general, too. You know, if you think about it, you know, beyond this little bubble that we all live in. I mean, it's just like you can only focus on as much as you want to change the world or as much as I want to or, or help things. You got to really start with the world that's you yourself and then those that are closest to you and then those that you can reach out to beyond that. And for you in a situation like you are for creating something like Motionographer or being being so close to that hub, I mean, you've affected so many people's lives um, just based on what you've created. So your your world and your hub and your effect on, on the community and the world itself is actually pretty big. And that's got to come with a lot of interesting responsibility and power. But what's cool, and I noticed, like I'm, we're talking about now, is you're still wanting the passion to, and the love to be the, the main thing. It's not like, you know... Totally. I want to make money off McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could, you could actually easily do that. And you could just kind of just let it fall to, fall to the waste. But you're still keen on keeping it. Yeah, I want to find the love, you know. Way to like just to keep it as pure as possible, and I think the key now is like, um, how can we set it up so that it can keep going and so that it can be reinvented? I mean, the site design hasn't changed since I worked on it for that one year up here in New York in like 2008, I think it was. And it's like, man, it's, it needs to be brought into you know 2014 and. It's, you know, I've got all these plans and things and, and all these things I want to do and it just takes time and it, it does take money to do that stuff because, you know, money is what either allows us to pay other people to do it or uh, gives me the time to do it or whatever. So, you know, we are really seriously trying to figure out, you know, how to kind of reinvent it and make it, you know, uh, more relevant. And I think there's so many good ideas we have that are in line with the, the like core mission of Motionographer, which is to just educate inspire and create a community and that really is like genuinely what we believe in you know the the my partner who who uh started f5 um and he's involved in motionographer kind of behind the scenes carlos i mean carlos has a crazy good job with a big um multinational company he he is involved in everything he does because he genuinely loves it he loves everything that we do and same with me i mean i don't really need to do any of this anymore i've got a good job but i do it because i love it and um it's hard to keep that love involved in your life you know i think if you don't it's like losing a good friendship i think if you lose that you're, you just kind of lose a part of your soul you know and i think it's really key and you guys are smart to know that you know i think steve jobs and john lasseter had a really good bonding relationship because because of that you know like they completed each other's relationships in the idea that they both complemented each other weakness you know if that makes sense you know like one was super creative they're both creative but they would they were different in their dynamic you know I'm, these are i'm just pulling this out of my my mind for the people that i've studied recently
but I think it's important to have that, you know, I think if you don't have that, you lose track of who you are and who you became, you know, and you, you could, like you said, you could just give it up and be like, I'm just gonna do my job and now focus on all these other things that I have to do. But the idea of keeping it in your life is, I think it's, it's key to who you are, you know? Right. You know, I probably never thought of like that before, but I think you're, you're totally right. I think, uh, you know, I would feel kind of like just adrift without having that, that anchor. Um, and I think that I see that happen a lot. You know, people just kind of, I, I think it's the first step towards, you know, burnout is like losing, losing the love, losing the passion. And, uh, and that's, it's hard to recover from that. You know, like once you've, once you've kind of like burned yourself out and however you do it, it's really hard to recover. I mean, I still think the industry kind of eats the young. It's, you know, <laughs> it does. Absolutely. <laughs> And it's really unfortunate because I have some friends who um, are super crazy talented, but who are no longer working in the industry. And, and you know, they lasted as long as they could, but they kind of hit that burnout and um, that burnout. I don't, it's really hard to go back from that, you know, really hard. Um, yeah, I know the same thing. A lot of friends too. Yeah, it's very challenging because it's, yeah. a, it's a mental break, you know. I wish, you know, I wish, I think for, for the people who do go to school before all this I think school has a responsibility to kind of like teach kids as much as they can like how to balance um, things a little more like work life which is the whole work life balance thing I think is one of the first things that you and I kind of had a public exchange about yeah on. that was that was a big deal man that was a yeah, huge deal that never really stops that's something you have to do your whole life um, but the earlier you learn that that's going to be a challenge the better prepared you're going to be for going into the real world and the other thing too and and in some ways motionographers really perpetuated this problem is that there's this kind of like myth of the rock star right like like a lot of students think man if I could just be Ash Thorpe I'm gonna be super happy and everything will be awesome and what <laughs> I tell yeah it's great it's really good to have like heroes and people whose work you admire because it does make you want to be a better artist but i tell them like look dude i mean i haven't asked him about it i can now but uh ash probably wakes up every morning and feels pretty much the same way you do uh, you know, ash has failures ash has successes ash is a human being he's really talented but just being ash isn't going to you know solve your problems and make you happy and that that kind of like is a hard realization for students to to get over like they really have this rock star mindset like you know they think well if i could just be that what, what's funny is at some point in the future they will be that and they won't even realize it they'll be as awesome as they always wanted to be and they won't even realize it they'll wake up and someday and look at their portfolio and go wow i'm i'm actually pretty good and i feel exactly the same as i did when i got out of this totally and that breaks down to perspective you know um you must go through this life with an understanding of your perspective you know and if you can constantly if you're constantly in your head and you're constantly um in the rat race because it is a rat race it's a fucking race it'll burn you out it'll destroy you and if you're not careful about it it'll eat you alive and so it's really key and important to be aware of that and be cautious of what's valuable and important to you you know like i have a on my monitor i have a list of of my five top values so anytime i have something that doubts that i look right to it and go well number one's family my second is art my third is health my fourth is my friends and my fifth one is my education that's like my list you know so anytime that i have doubt of it so if it's like a client says i have this project and it's an amazing project and i go and it's and they they need it by like you know like always i need tomorrow it's like and i but i have plans with my family i have to go well family's number one you know 
That's a great, that's really good. Uh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> you should. You know what's funny is my friend uh, Anthony Jones told me about that. And because he's he's like a bit of a role model for me because he's just a really great human being. But he's also a dad. He's got like four kids. And he just crushes it. And he's really great and talented. But what's cool is he he's a very, he, like from the exchanges that I've gotten from him and our friendship is that he really has a good understanding of how to be a great husband and a dad alongside all these things and 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 for me personally i i mean i didn't grow up with a, with a father figure um until i was like later on in life i was raised by my mom so i had no real dynamic of understanding how that works how to be a good father and all that stuff so in talking with him he gives me lots of like pointers and tips and that was one of the big things that he gave me and, and i think it's such a really good help you know i just recently started doing it but it actually helps because I constantly, and I think I'm similar to you and most people that are listening, is I'm constantly inundated by things and I'm so curious and I have like ADD, so I'm all over the place. And so that list kind of anchors me, you know? Totally. And it helps, you know? You know, I think it's good. And and family and stuff shouldn't be something that holds you back. It should be something that helps you, develops you, you know? So, and that's kind of, yeah, sorry. What were you going to say? Yeah, when we like learned we were gonna have a baby, our my my baby boy is he's seven months old now. Yeah, congratulations and, to you both too. That's it's a big deal. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, you know, like it's kind of a terrifying thing. Like I think I I was scared about a lot of stuff. I was scared about like the pregnancy blog, you know, making the kind of basic stuff. But then I was like, oh shit, like that's just gonna like put a clamp on like all my professional goals and dreams. And, like you know because i'm gonna have to spend so much time with it i wasn't really i mean i wasn't thinking about it a ton that sounds really shitty like i just you know went straight to that place but it's okay we all do so it's the selfish part of you exactly exactly it's super selfish and uh but I, I did wonder about it, you know, and now fast forward, he's seven months old and like we've got like some routines down. It's getting a little bit easier and stuff. Um, it's funny. It's actually had the opposite uh, kind of effect that I thought it would have. And it, it's what it's doing is it's, it's focusing more me more. It's centering me more. It's like it's helping me cut through a lot of the bullshit yep. that I would normally get distracted by. And it's helping me like decide like, okay, do this thing because it lines up with, you know, the values that you kind of, that you ran down or don't do it, you know, like, and, and, uh, it's, it's, uh, I kind of, it's really, it's empowering. I'm kind of, I think I'm at the beginning of a new phase of like, okay, I can do some shit that actually I didn't think I could do. And I think I can attribute it to having a kid. Like it, it, it really kind of like kicks you in the ass in a very special way. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it changes you in, in a way and either like either you can be a loser and give up and, and quit, which most people seem to do usually men, or you can face the struggle and the problem and the reward is amazing because it's the biggest struggle and problem and, and job a problem. It's the biggest uh, job that you'll have is to be a parent. That's the most important thing in our culture and society and everything is the most important thing is, is that job you know and if you're not able to do it right then you should you have no you have no um you shouldn't be doing it you know and and so when you take it seriously and you allow it to change you for the better or for the worse whatever it is but if you allow it to change you for the better you become a better person it's very much rewarding you have this person you have this thing that's counting on you this little entity and it's it's really great you know and they can go out into the world and make it a better place hopefully based on your programming or you know infrastructure and their brain capacity and stuff you know that's like that's the coolest thing if you think about it you know it's, it's just perspective like we're talking about you know i think it's important to have a, a constantly have one person on the ground and one person up on the top of the mountain always looking at from both of those angles you know always seeing everything from yep. all points you know 
it's challenging to do that though it's yeah it's hard it's hard to kind of like maintain the balance of those perspectives and kind of like you know keep grounded but it's a great i think it's worth it i've learned more from that than i have from anything else in a long time that's good and that's what we're talking about here too and i was going to talk to you about kind of like your balance and stuff but you i think you nailed it and hit it on the head and where i think um you know a lot of people have failed i think it comes down to those kind of things i always ask myself like well why didn't my dad or why didn't like my friend's dads or whatever or our moms or whatever why didn't they do this you know and and and, and but I get it. I understand because it's very hard. It's challenging to do all these things, you know. And and I I'm, I can be completely very selfish as well. And I go to that selfish place like, what about me? And what about blah blah blah? Because the industry itself is a very selfish child, you know. If you think about it, it's a it's a crying baby at all times. It's it's in need of your attention and your desire uh, to capture that. And and uh, you got to be really cautious of what that role plays in your life you know because <laughs> it can be extremely detrimental to your health and everything that you love you know if you're not careful so yeah it's a challenge that's for sure <laughs> to balance it all out you won't even realize you're losing it until it's gone you know when you it's... were you were interviewing um scott rice yeah i'm not judging him at all i mean he was super honest and i loved that that was a great podcast but um yeah ross's podcast is great yeah um and oh yeah, what did I, I say? Scott Ross or Scott Rice? What did I say? I think I got his name wrong. But you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's okay, Scott. Yeah. He he talked very candidly about when he was starting Digital Domain, um, that he just didn't see his daughter for like some crazy amount of time. It was like a year or something like that. I was like, holy shit, man, really? And you know, it's easy to do. You don't even realize it, you know, because you're, uh, you know, just consumed with this other project, this other kid, essentially. You know, in his case, it was. It was the studio that he was trying to start and i'm grateful that he started it because uh you know it, it created a lot of opportunity and pushed things forward but for him personally that must have been really really difficult and looking back you know there was some damage done there um you know his, his marriage i think suffered from it too and i had the same thing happen before you know um like this i've i've been married once before and and this is you know my second time around and the first time around i totally lost that I wasn't paying attention and I just kind of let myself get sucked into work and, and my projects and I just believed that those were the most important things in my life and so you know what they became the only things in my life and you don't even realize it next thing you know turn around and all the other stuff is just gone and you realize when it's gone you're like oh shit that actually was more important than the thing that I thought was important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's just because the important, the, the the constant inundation of the psychological, like, it's just like emails, right, and, and pings and tweets and Facebook updates and all these things, like a, a relationship or a wife or a girlfriend or something like that on a general scale just can't compete with that. They just yeah. can't, you know, um, with the inundation, basically. It's basically like, because you, you, especially for a guy like you, I mean, seriously, how many emails do you get a day? Just give me like a rough average. Several hundred. I don't know exactly. I think how... I'm thinking you probably sometimes you get like, you know, 500 to 800 emails. I imagine that. Yeah, it's crazy. That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. there's no way you can even. So what I'm saying is that you're so inundated with information that nothing can compete with that if you actually give it to, if you give into that, you know. So it's yeah. okay. It's 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 kind of like um, what the internet, what what how we're how we're changing socially. You know, I often find myself in my phone when I shouldn't be, you know, like, oh, let me check this out or let me check this email or, you know, and so 
it's you have to be very cautious of it when yeah. you're when you you know the different settings you know like but at the same time it's just a challenge of how you balance it all out some guys are able to really do it you know like there's like the director jj abrams i hear is really big on his family and he's still active but he manages to direct big blockbuster films which isn't easy you know you look at guys like jim cameron and i can't judge because i don't know these people but he's had multiple relationships and wives you know and I, i'm not you know like i said i can't judge them but there's different paths that people take you know good or bad and you realize what's more important you know and some for some people their career might be more, more important than anything and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not hurting other people you know and right. that's really where it comes down to and for you it looks like and it seems like you've made your family your yes. importance you know so and i've worked and i worked out some like little things that have helped me like kind of keep a lid on it like um I do a uh, internet fast <laughs> every year and I learned this from Cory Doctorow who founded the blog Boing Boing like yeah I think every year like for a week or two he basically just disconnects from the internet entirely he doesn't check an email doesn't surf the web any doesn't do anything related to the internet he just basically goes off the grid and I've been doing that um, cuz I go to Mexico my in-laws are all all uh, live in Mexico my wife is Mexican and we go down to um, Acapulco and there really isn't internet access there i mean there probably is i could pay for it but whatever i don't and so i, I use that time to disconnect and it's just awesome. a week or two, if you do that for a week or two a year you will be amazed it gives you crazy perspective on the the value or the lack of value of that constant pinging that you're talking about you know you, you it puts it in its place you're kind of like hey you know what that's just noise man like so much of that is just noise and i don't need that shit yeah that's absolutely just noise that's exactly it and a lot of it's just like you know can you imagine the amount of terabyte space is just filled up on the internet with fucking selfies you know like <laughs> and who wants to see that shit you know and like that just like one little bit of noise it's like one grain of noise that's in the machine of things but that's absolutely true and and i think i think what you're talking about the two-week thing it's there's actually there's an interval i think that's within our human condition that if you do something within i think it's like 21 days actually um you said 14 days but i think two weeks if you do something repetitively on a on a you know, uh, it triggers something within you. So after you beat it, the first week's really challenging. Then the second week, and then after the second week, it becomes easier because it becomes routine. You just readapt and, and react to it. And I think that's really good. And, and that's what we're talking about is perspective, you know? I think if you have a really keen perspective on things, you can have a high advantage on anything in life in general, you know? Absolutely. I also learned to like, and this has been a hard one for me because of the just kind of hyperactive guy I am, but I learned a few years ago, I heard something a few years ago that really stuck with me. I don't remember who said it, but it was like, he said, priorities are like arms. If you have more than two, you're crazy. And- <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Love that quote. <laughs> I used to, uh, I remember, you know, I had like lists of things I wanted to do and, and in those lists, like everything was number one priority. Everything was important. If everything is number one priority, nothing is number one priority. It means everything is at the same level of importance, essentially. And um, so at work here, I constantly, um, like at the beginning of every week, I basically say, look, my two priorities for this week are, you know, project A, project B. Everything else is secondary to those, which means it may not get done. And I tell people that. Like, I'm very honest with them. Like, if they give me something new to do, I say, look, I hear you. I know you need that thing. Um, here are my two priorities for this week. 
if you think that your project should be one of those priorities instead, let's talk about it because that could be the case. But in most cases, it's not true. And so I have to put those other things basically off of my priority list. I might still get to them. I might not. I, you know, I try to be really honest with people. But whatever my number one and number two priorities are for the week, those definitely get done and I definitely address them. It's made me like not only a more productive person, but a much calmer person. It gives yeah. me a lot because you you know what you're you're capable and able to do you know and when yeah. you like you would like that quote says when you have more than two priorities of your arms or whatever it's like yeah you, you will go crazy you know you will and it's it's really impossible to juggle and and uh and and do a good job i should say you know um with with more than a couple priorities at, at any given moment and you can always change them switch them up you know you should but um, that's been really that's been a valuable lesson for me too. The, the other kind of like thing that I've done that helps a lot with all the email that I get is I try to practice something called inbox zero. And this isn't with my motionographer stuff, unfortunately, because that's just that's a different thing. That's like a stream of constant data. But for my work and my personal emails, um, I I basically process all my email at once. I put it in different places um, according to what needs to happen. So if I have to reply to it, I mark it for reply and then I, I put it aside. And then if I, you know, if it's not, if it's not actionable, I just put it uh, in, a, in an archive. And this is all based on like uh, a lot of Merlin Mann who runs a site called 43 Folders. Um, he has a bunch of stuff about inbox zero is what he calls it. And uh, it's been embraced by a lot of people. Google incorporates it actually into Gmail. If you ever get your Gmail inbox empty, it'll say like, I think you've reached inbox zero or something like that. It like kind of congratulates you on inbox zero. So yeah. <laughs> those skills that i've kind of perfected over the last few years it's really helped a lot you kind of have to you know there's a there's a book and every time it's like almost every podcast i bring it up and i'm reading the other ones too um i, you, I imagine you might you might have read it already or you're aware of it but it's uh, manage your day-to-day -day. Mm. um i think it's I, I haven't read it yet no i think you'd really dig it i think it would resonate with you really well actually because it's a lot about like those principles that we've been talking about i'm reading their next one right now and it's the same kind of really just filled a lot of really good applicable um, concepts and theories and ideas, especially generating general um, things for guys like you and I and everybody probably listening because it's more of a creative based kind of thing where it's it's like, look, we know we all have problems. We can't get everything done. So this is a way of like dealing with it and how to work on it and like how to get as much out of your day as you possibly can and and, it, and structuring it basically, which really helps, you know, without structure. And what's really great about what you're saying is you, you have it seems like you have a really now you've figured out how to, how to have a first a really great communication with yourself, which is most important, you know, and then second with others communication is so important and if you don't have it it really can just throw everything off um, yeah it's yeah just, it's like relationship you know and, and the most important person in your life is yourself because without yourself being in the right hands everything else falls you know and, and um that's good it's important actually you know very key not everybody listens to themselves or is able to be strong enough to be confident about how they convey things to people, myself included. I always want to do everything for everybody. It's really hard for me to say no. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like um, I was saying earlier, like Syop has reached out to you, you know, several times and, and you know, been able you... to help. It sucks. And you know what, dude, we're totally cool with it. We're like, it's not like we, and this is important for people to understand, like, it's not like we're gonna be like, well, fuck that guy. He's never. <laughs> I'm like the forbidden fruit now, or the uh, the hot chick at the bar. You just can't get can't get in her pants. Yes. <laughs> not saying I'm the hot chick at the bar, but you know, it's like that thing at the forbidden fruit or something. You know? That sounds yeah. totally stuck up and shitty. <laughs> kind of true. 
like we know like that we know why you know you're you're not uh able to help and we know that like your work is still good you're still the same guy so we're just gonna keep going after you until we you know finally get a chance to work with you and we may never get a chance to work with you my point is that it's like it's okay to say no it's okay to like turn shit down it's not going to be the end of the world in fact in a lot of cases it, it earns you respect from you know the other person uh, and if it doesn't earn you respect if they get pissed about it then you shouldn't have worked with them anyways <laughs> yeah absolutely they want you that's the wrong relationship altogether and, and that's something that i realized and it will work out and it will line up it's just a matter of time and and that's one thing i've realized um too through you guys and just in, in general with a lot of the client stuff is it's it's okay to say no and exactly and that's it too is when you do say no and somebody's being a douche about it it's like don't work with them then you know like they're they're obviously not just kind of they they, they want it they, it's just not healthy you know so and that's there's it's been nothing but really great communication between myself and everybody employed at psyop and there will be a time i'm hoping in the near future where we'll be able to collaborate and i'll be able to help and work on things with you guys you know there's a list of studios that i still have that i always want to do at least one thing with before i change my career completely and do something completely different and then you guys are definitely one of them so just a matter of time you know yeah lining it up but yeah man i don't know it's it's challenging to do everything you just can't you know and and, and unfortunately and isn't that the paradigm of the situation of this current day and age it's like you want to do everything you want to be able to do everything but you must pick and choose, you know. I, I think maturity maturity is in some ways just like the realization that you just can't do it all, and you you know that you have to choose the stuff that's that that you're going to get the most out of, and it's actually going to be you know doable. That's that's really and that's hard because it means closing doors and, and shutting down things, but it also means that the thing you do dedicate yourself to, you're probably going to be better at it than you ever were, were before. So yeah, yeah that's maturity right there well it all breaks down to time you know it's all about the time that you put into these things you know and the, mo the, the amount of sacrifice and blood and things that you give to it the goddess amuse or whatever you want to call it the more it gives back to you and then the universe and there's this resonation you know i think you talked about like when you see somebody's work that submits to it i think there's just something that you connect with emotionally instantly you either know you love it or you don't and that's it you know and I think part of that is due to a lot of those kind of factors, which how much you actually, that person put into that, you know, how much love and care and, and, and just kind of what they were able to put into it. And, and that translates, you know? Yeah. And you think, you know, guys like yourself and you, what you guys are doing on the site and stuff, you guys, it resonates with you. Yeah. It's really great. I think you should, uh, you should write a book, man. You should put all this stuff together and do something cool. You just, check out that manager day to day i think you have a lot of interesting things to contribute to that based off of just your experience of what you've been doing you know even if it's like an ebook or something have you ever thought of anything like that or doing like yeah. a kickstarter or something like that yeah i mean actually i started thinking about um writing a book when i was teaching at scad i went back to teach at scad later um i uh i realized that there wasn't a good uh still isn't really a great textbook for um kind of the fundamentals of motion design um and so i was like oh maybe i could do that and then i recently wrote an article like a pretty long article for computer arts about motion design and then i, I was like man you know uh, i really enjoy doing this i should <laughs> i should write something a little longer and um yeah so i like what you're saying too i mean it doesn't have to be about you know specifically like you know motion design or whatever but um i appreciate the encouragement i will i will put that on my list <laughs> you do it man you should do it and you should uh, yeah you, you can use you know motionographer as like a you know like a 
a hub of things that you've learned and experiences. I think it'd be really cool and it'd be beneficial just to kind of have that path. There's a lot of people that are eager and curious and want to be a part of this kind of um, family, I suppose, or, you know, this, this connection of things, you know, and I think it's really, it's a really awesome thing to share with people, you know, cool. personally, I think maybe, you know, I'm biased because I'm super nerd for this kind of stuff, you know, so, but I think it'd be rad, you know, and I think what's cool. And I wanted to talk to you. We only have a little bit more time. You know, we got to get back to work and stuff, but like, I wanted to hear about your thoughts on like the future of uh, commerce and Kickstarter and all these kind of things, like your viewpoint on it, where you think that's going to go. Um, yeah. I view you as a bit of a, as a futurist, you know, like I, I know we've talked a little bit about technology and stuff and I see, you know, I think you're definitely on that cusp and you're smart enough to really observe these things in the, the future and stuff. So, but I, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it and you know, I've, everything I, I think that I might say should be taken with a grain of salt, but, um, you know, it's interesting, like specifically with, with Kickstarter, I think, um, my, my, uh, kind of view of it has changed, um, over the last six months or so because of the projects we're working on here and because of some of our plans here and, um, some of the guys I work with are, you know, really smart and they have a different take on it. So it used to be, I think that Kickstarter was essentially like, you know, for fundraising and, and, and it was a way to kind of pre-sell, um, an idea and hopefully get the funding to, to make it happen. But, but now I think for a lot of projects, it's a way to actually test market viability for a concept before ever actually committing to producing that thing. So that could be a film or a game, or it could be, you know, an actual product. Um, I think the idea of like getting all your funding from Kickstarter is, um, not really important anymore. It used to be, I think that was how people thought of it, but I think there's been enough projects that have kind of use Kickstarter as just that, a Kickstarter for greater funding down the line, like um, Pebble, for instance, um, the watch, the, uh, you know, the, the smartwatch thing. Yeah. Um, gaming uh, ventures have kind of like used Kickstarter to prove the viability of their idea, and then they raised funding in sometimes more traditional ways. Um, and uh, I think that's great. I think that blended approach is really smart. And I think it's important to understand that Kickstarter is first and foremost a community. It's a community of people who are interested uh, in not just the thing that you're talking about, but in all the stuff that's connected to that thing. So if you're if you're pitching a short film, you know, you're talking to people who are interested in short films and, and you know, treat them as such, treat them as, you know, people who are passionate about the same things you're passionate about. And that's cool like you're basically filtering out um a giant you know mass of people and finding people that care about the thing that you're trying to do um i you know i, I think the uh i, I think we psyop you know um will probably you know tinker with it a little bit in some ways in 2014 we have some specific things in mind that we're gonna uh roll out um and and test kind of uh in that way and we'll see i may i may be like eating my words uh later in the year but i think i think it's a smart strategy um yeah I, i'm excited about seeing where that goes yeah me too man it's cool it's really cool to be in this position of just kind of like watching the world go by and see what's happening and what sticks and what doesn't stick to the wall and just seeing why and it really comes down to i think passion people can see through passion and people resonate with good story or good good product or just when people put a lot of love into something you know and i think that it's cool to see it's like the world swap meet creating you know it's interesting it's just kind of you know it'd be interesting if people can kind of help one another sustain a living doing what they love rather than like having to use different means to do so if that makes sense it's just it's it's more direct and honest which i think is great so yep. but 
book yeah. actually and I'm working my way through and it's a pretty difficult book in many ways but it's really good it's called Who Owns the Future and it's by a guy named Jaron Lanier and he kind of he has a model that he pushes forward that is kind of what you're what you were saying with essentially a model where there's value in everything we do it's funny because you know we give away so much value we give away value on Facebook and Twitter basically the behavior that we have on Facebook is essentially captured and yes. it's correlated and then they use it to sell targeted advertising and we know that like we enter into that agreement when we use Facebook right we say look I agree to your terms I understand but he argues in this book Jaron Lanier argues that the value of our behavior is greater than we are giving it and and he he's a musician himself and and um, you know he he wants to see a world where the things that he does can actually sustain him um, and and with money you know not with just like likes and retweets but with <laughs> yeah sustainable something yeah, yeah. in like kind of macroeconomic view of the hyper connected world of big data that we live in right now and it's it's challenging like i said it's and it's not always like comfortable read but it's really good i love it i'm gonna read it i love books like these i mean they're just there it's really where my head is at all the time i'm just trying to figure out how to honestly work in this world where i'm not having to bleed myself dry on an hourly basis for people i'd rather create the best that i can actually create from my soul to people but have them support it directly you know so it's not this weird roundabout thing you know so and and at the end of the day you really don't need that much money you know it's like you don't really need that much money to sustain your living you know being rich yep. is never the, the best goal i think i think that's just a weird endless void you know I'll more money and more problems it's, it's absolutely true so yeah it's our problem it's like you, you get the money and you realize you're not any different than you were before <laughs> yeah you're just like this sucks still <laughs> yeah or this is great still or whatever your perspective is and stuff but yeah man well dude it's been amazing to talk to you and it's feel like we're just scratching the surface on some really cool things and perhaps um maybe six months down the line or something we could set up a part two if you're ever interested it would be amazing to talk more about your developments and possibly your start of your book or something you know and maybe promote that a little bit or something i don't know i'm sure you're busy i'm throwing you under the bus with a lot of that stuff but <laughs> yeah but um chatting i really appreciate it and uh, i'd love to chat again totally awesome man well Dude, thank you so much for personally, thank you for everything that you've helped me with and for creating the hub of uh, Motionographer and, and for helping the community and being a part of it and being really, you know, a big active ingredient in, in a lot of its success. So, yeah, I know that a lot of people's lives have changed because of what you've created. And thanks, dude. I really appreciate it, you know, so very much thank you for that yeah yeah keep rocking dude and have a great day and enjoy being a dad man so do <laughs> awesome dude well thank you so much and i'll be posting this up pretty soon and i'll, I'll keep you posted and thanks to everybody out there for all your emails and for listening to the podcast really appreciate it and, and another big thanks to our guests and thanks again dude appreciate it thank you man talk to you guys soon have a great day bye